Hi there, and welcome to the Engage MarTech podcast. Research shows the marketing function is playing an increasingly important role within the organization, as advances in marketing technology enable greater customer understanding and insight, allowing organizations to increasingly personalize and tailor their offering to ever more demanding and proactive customers. For over a decade, we've helped some of the world's biggest brands engage, understand, and consistently deliver on the expectations of their customers through our industry-leading conferences and online digital media. Find out more, visit engagemartech.com. In this episode, we hear from Nicole Adam, Head of Institutional Marketing at Consensus. She leads marketing strategy, product positioning, and market campaign management. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I'm Nicole, and I lead institutional marketing at Consensus. Today, I'm going to be speaking to you guys about marketing to an ecosystem that didn't exist 13 years ago. Marketing to an audience that five years ago didn't think of crypto as anything really more than something that was useful for nefarious actors on the dark web. So today, when I walk you through this, we're going to be coming from this point all the way to where we are today bridging over 1,800 organizations into Web3. So first things first, um, introductions. I'm Nicole. Um, I, as I said, I lead institutional marketing for Consensus. My career started back in the Philippines, where I'm from, uh, where I was leading regional marketing for a startup in Southeast Asia. After that, I did my MBA, uh, where when everybody was going into consulting and investment banking, I was the crazy person that decided that it would be a good thing to go into crypto in, uh, in 2018. So uh, at Consensus, what I do is I lead marketing for all our institutional products, of which these are three of them. The most recognizable would be the blue fox in the middle called MetaMask Institutional. It's an institutional version of the MetaMask wallet. So actually, before I move forward, I'm curious uh, of the people in this room, how many of you guys own crypto. That's actually a lot more than I was expecting. That's great. Um, and how many of you guys are holding that crypto on an exchange? <coughs> how many of you guys are holding it in a decentralized wallet? And how many, for how many of you is that wallet MetaMask? I have one guy. <laughs> I mean, I think that maybe demonstrates that we're very, very early in this space. So I think of just based on the hands raised we just saw today, it's, it's useful for me to go through some of the core concepts before I walk through the presentation any further. So firstly, what is Web3? Well, Web3 can be defined as an evolution of the internet that is built upon blockchain or distributed ledger technology. It's, among other things, it's a version of the internet that facilitates transparency with its open source code. It also preserves privacy um, by allowing interactions with pseudo-anonymity. It strengthens robustness because there's no single point of failure. And also it enables disintermediation um, so that people can move their trust away from institutions and into code, onto code which is verifiable. So Web3 is the ecosystem where you, you hear all the buzzwords from blockchain to Bitcoin and Ethereum and NFTs and the metaverse, which is not something that Mark Zuckerberg created. Uh, one more core concept that I want to go through with you guys before we dive into the marketing stuff is DeFi. So DeFi stands for Decentralized Finance. 
uh, Web3 is home to decentralized finance, which is where we can see an entire financial, the entire financial ecosystem being rebuilt in a way that works for the 21st century. So what do I mean by this? I mean that with DeFi, it won't take three to five days to send a bank transfer. With DeFi, it won't, um, you won't need to pay exorbitant fees to multiple intermediaries uh, when you want to exchange currency or when you want to send remittances across the globe. I mean that with DeFi, the more than one billion people around the world that are not able to qualify for a bank account. So those guys with, if they don't have a passport, if they don't have a permanent address, or if they can't show a good credit history, uh, those one billion people who cannot get a bank account can finally, through DeFi, send money, save money, invest, trade, and borrow, all without relying on a bank. They can do so as long as they have an internet connection and that they're aware of how to use the tools that we're, we're developing today. So this is where we're trying to get to, but it doesn't happen overnight. Between 2018 and 2022, so my, my time in the crypto industry, it's been a journey. So in 2018, we saw markets dive after the 2017 bull run. We saw a lot of initial coin offerings or ICOs, which presented a lot of different scams. So you have a lot of hesitation um, when, when entering the industry. In 2019, we saw the first steps of enterprises entering the space with blockchain pilot projects. And we saw governments um, starting to work with central bank digital currencies, so CBDCs. And in 2020 and in 2021, we saw the highs of DeFi summers. That was really fantastic for the industry. It brought a lot of institutions to the space. Um, because of the high yields that you see across the, across the ecosystem. And this is where we are today. So Web3, DeFi, it's a, an ecosystem of over 17,000 protocols and decentralized applications. We've got a market cap in 2022 alone has fluctuated between 180 and 40 billion. We also have really positive numbers for the rate at which institutions are using, deploying, buying, 74% institutional investors intend to buy digital assets in the future. So at least it's looking, it's looking good. Um, so at Consensus, my goal is to bridge these organizations into Web3. And the reason for that is that once the institutions are able to come over, we can see more liquidity in the ecosystem. We also see more confidence from the conservative users. So maybe the rest of you guys who haven't raised your hand yet, might feel comfortable enough to try, uh, try transacting within the ecosystem. And also with organizations coming in, there might also be better products that will improve on what exists today. So that is my goal. So with the remaining 15 minutes that I've got with you guys, I'm gonna be talking about how we're attracting institutional interest um, and really driving demand in an environment that can be absolutely crazy, turbulent, much more fast moving, I'd say, than your regular tech startup. So what I'm gonna be walking through, we'll start with what I mean in terms of scope when I talk about product marketing. It can change drastically from company to company. I'm gonna talk about understanding your audience, how to leverage competitive advantage, um, what kind of marketing technology we use, um, how to show up, impress, so deploy the campaigns, and finally, measuring, evaluating, and documenting your marketing activity. So first, product marketing. 
I wanted to have this slide up because product marketing can vary drastically from company to company. And even within consensus, the scope of product marketing can differ per team. So for institutional marketing, what we do is we partner very, very closely to product and sales teams across the organization um, to bring our institutional products to market and to continuously drive product awareness, uh, demand, and usage. So we deliver marketing strategy across research, competitive analysis, positioning, um, messaging creation, go-to-market strategy, and then the full campaign management and lead generation. On the right here, you'll see a list of all the different channels that are the most applicable for institutions. So before you start, obviously very important is to understand your audience. Institutions in general are an enormous market to look at. So it's critical to segment this down into groups that have similar interests and behaviors. On screen, I've got two groups. Definitely, we can go much deeper. We can do literally a lot sub-layers down. But I wanted to keep it simple and high level just so you can follow across the rest of the presentation. So we need to understand what each segment, uh, which, what their pain points are, so that we're able to present a compelling solution. Um, so your team is really extremely lucky when you have a product team that's able to build and develop the different features that are of interest to different segments. So here I'm going to talk about traditional organizations, which include like banks and fintechs, or what we call sometimes Web2 companies, um, companies that are working, operating on the internet as we see it today. And the second group would be crypto-native institutions. So um, companies like DeFi funds, crypto funds, market makers, and also decentralized autonomous organizations, or DAOs, that operate natively, so they really just started within the Web3 movement. The differences here is when you look at a traditional organization, they're gonna need to check the boxes for what the legacy systems demand today. So they're gonna need secure access in order to participate in the space. They're gonna need to ensure that they're compliant across the regulation districts, the jurisdictions that they're operating across. And they also want really, really comprehensive monitoring and reporting features so that they can audit everything that they're doing. Um, with crypto-native institutions, it's a little bit different because unlike the traditional orgs, they're not so much focused on only transacting on the top three to five most popular protocols in the space. They want to try everything. They're looking, out, they're looking for the highest yields. So they want a product that's going to help them you know, access all the deepest, darkest places uh, of Web3. And they're also going to want custody solutions that are going to follow them there and be able to support them through their, their activities. So this is just an example of the, the diversity of the institutional market that we're looking at. And here on this slide, you can see just an example of how different the places you know, we use to, to reach them. Their attention will be dedicated and divided across really, really different outlets. You can see it across you know, what these brands represent, the substance of their content, and even just like the, the styling of their logos is, is already completely different. Something that makes Web3 marketing unique is you know, the fact that Twitter is an extremely important channel to reach this ecosystem. And one of the most interesting things is the fact that this ecosystem has almost created its own language. So you have here like a bunch of different acronyms. By no means is this list exhaustive. But if, you've, uh, if you're using crypto, you own crypto, you're maybe active within the crypto Twitter ecosystem, these things you'll probably see every day, multiple times a day. 
And it's all really fun once you get past that barrier of kind of maybe intimidating or you don't know what's going on. Um, so now we know who our audience is. Next is how we leverage competitive advantage. So here are the questions that I would pose to any marketing team. Would be first, how does your product solve user pain points? How does your solution differ from others in the market? And also, how is your solution better? I'm gonna go through just a really high level version of what this is for MetaMask so that it's easy to follow across the rest of the deck. So MetaMask offers unrivaled access to DeFi and Web3. We do this because we're the most popular Web3 wallet. And this is shown by the fact that we have 30 million, over 30 million monthly active users. And because we have the largest user base, much larger than the next wallet in the ecosystem, um, projects are motivated once they come online, the first thing they're gonna to wanna to do is connect with MetaMask so that our user base can use their products. So we are connected to over 17,000 applications across the space. And that's not an offering that other wallets can, can really put at the forefront. So once we know what exactly the message is, what we're trying to get across, it's about executing, bring, bring on the marketing technology. This is, these are the tools that I think are really important, crucial for marketers to be able to use on a daily basis in order to execute on the strategy that you put forth. So I know that you know, across this conference, on different stages, on the adjacent stages, a lot of people are going to be focusing very highly on the strategy, which is great, it's super important. But for me, I also think it's, really, it's realistic and it's pragmatic to actually look at some of the tools that are really useful to marketers to actually get these things done. So first, just for campaign planning and project management, Airtable is just my absolute favorite. If I wasn't working at Consensus, I'd probably be working for Airtable because um, they're just so fantastic at project management for everything in my professional, even sometimes in my personal life. So, so much so that like once uh, Airtable servers were down for eight, eight minutes and my world just fully stopped. <laughs> so it's, 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 it's a good one. Next is Notion, really great for knowledge sharing between, uh, between um, different stakeholders, a good source of truth. Obviously the whole Google suite is really important for project coordination. Some tools that I like, not necessarily that Consensus even uses, but some tools that I really like here for web and content management include WordPress. It's super extensible and customizable, so really you can make it what you need it to be with different add-ons and plugins to, to help um, make your website really unique. Um, Contentful is really great when you have a whole bunch of contributors that need to access and contribute content because it's so easy to use. Canva, really great for designers who are not actually designers, so I'm definitely one of those. Uh, and of course, yeah, the, again, going back to Google Suite. Next, for email, social, and lead management, there's really nothing like HubSpot. It's really fantastic how it has a full suite to manage leads from the first touch point all the way through to conversion, track you, give you data across everything, and help nurture the leads throughout the whole process. Hootsuite, really great for social listening. Uh, reporting, of course, once again, the Google Suite. My personal favorite is Google Data Studio just because you can collect everything that's really important to you um, to really help you determine the decision-making, inform, inform all the decision-making. And Google Data Studio just allows you to you know, make everything more pretty and uh, easily digestible, which is important when you know, you're not as used to looking at numbers all day. Okay, uh, gone through the execution, so showing up and impressing. Um, here on this slide, you'll see how MetaMask Institutional represents across website, social, 
live events, online events, and even some of our downloadable assets. You'll see that you know, we use a bunch of different marketing channels to reach our audience, but it really doesn't matter how, how, um, where, how often you're, 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 you're out there if you're not all connected to the lead, um, lead data collection. So every different touch point needs to have on-brand representation, seamless lead generation. And that means that every single touch point has that CTA, that call to action for your audience to reach you. Everything should be connected to one kind of unified database for triage so that sales teams can take the sales qualified leads and nurture them very white glove, very handheld fashion. Whereas marketing qualified leads, we put them into email nurturing workflows that will help also with conversion. Lastly, measurement, evaluation, and documentation. Just some of the questions that I would pose here would be, what was your ROI? By spending, spending the money, what did we get back? Did we add to the bottom line? What were your process takeaways and what could have been improved? So it doesn't matter if the team makes mistakes, as long as you're documenting them so that you don't make the same mistakes twice. It's important to document everything so that you never have to restart from zero. This is particularly important, I think, in a startup environment when you know, a team needs to be super agile to adapt to really learn from what they've done in the past so that you never need to restart from zero. Great, so that was my case study. Um, yeah, these are, these are my contact details in case anyone would like to talk further. If you guys have any questions, I have three and three minutes left. So, <laughs> any questions? You've been so attentive, guys, thanks. Well, we have somebody, a question there. Tell us who you are, where you're from. Definitely, it's, it's a question that we get quite a lot. So yes, the, the mining, the energy that is required to keep up a blockchain when it's a proof of work blockchain is, can be enormous. And really when you think about that, it's really the size of small countries, um, equivalent to the size of small countries. But if you've heard about um, something that happened back in September, it was called the merge, the Ethereum merge, which transformed the way that the blockchain maintains itself. So instead of miners competing with each other to produce, like, um, solve the right equations, and then a lot of that energy being wasted. The whole system has been changed in order to have a proof of stake mechanism. And that might be a little bit technical for this audience, but at the same time, you, know, you, have, you have users that are putting cryptocurrency, staking it on the blockchain to ensure the, the robustness and the security. So the whole system has changed in order to bring down the energy use, and so, at least Ethereum, which is the chain that we work on. Actually, maybe I forgot to mention this, but the founder of Consensus is actually one of the co-founders of the Ethereum blockchain. And Ethereum, with the merge, is now 99.95% more energy efficient than it was prior to September. So, at least for Ethereum, we got it. <laughs> and it's, a, it's an evolving process, so we, we are continuing to address where, wherever we can to make it even more energy efficient. Thank you. Show your appreciation in the usual way. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you.